Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books and Fantasy. I am your host, A.E. Lanier. Today, I will be speaking with Garth Nix about his newest short story collection, Sir Harrowwood and Mr. Fitz, Stories of the Witch Knight and the Puppet Sorcerer. The collection gathers together stories written over more than 15 years, as well as a new original composition, and follows the artillerist knight and his sorceress papier-mâché companion on a variety of adventures, while Harrowwood in particular searches for rest and human connection amongst their various god-slaying responsibilities. Garth Nix is the award-winning and best-selling Australian fantasy writer behind series such as The Old Kingdom, The Seventh Tower, and Keys to the Kingdom. It is worth noting that while much of his career has focused on younger audiences, the book we are discussing today is written for adults. He is here with me now. Hi, Garth. It's great to have you. It's great to be talking to you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about Sarah Harrowwood and Mr. Fitz and how they came about for you? Sure. Um, it's always difficult for me, for me to cast my mind back and try and work things out because I often don't really know what what inspires books or, or stories. But Sir Herbert and Mr. Fitz began with the very first story I wrote featuring the duo, um, Sir Herbert and Mr. Fitz Go to War Again, uh, back in 2005, actually, I think it was. Um, and they fall in, a, in a, a long tradition, I guess, of uh, sword and sorcery, though these books are kind of like gunpowder and sorcery or flintlock fantasy, perhaps. Uh, so in the tradition of you know, Fritz Leiber's Fafard and the Grey Mouser, uh, you know, Robert Howard's Conan the Barbarian, uh, books like that, but also I guess going further back to even things like Don Quixote and uh, Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, the sort of ill-matched companions uh, going on adventures. And I'm, I love, I guess it, I've done what I always do, which is I've written the kind of things I like to read myself. But because I like to read very widely, I actually often write quite different things. I mean, I just love the idea of of a knight. Um, Sir Hereward is a knight, but he's, in fact, also the only male child ever born to a society of witches. Um, so he's kind of an outcast as well. And he is continuing the job the witches have. The witches are agents of the Council for the Treaty for the Safety of the World. And their job is to is to roam this sort of Baroque landscape of uh, fallen kingdoms and and uh, so on to get rid of inimical gods and godlets, extra, extra dimensional entities. So he's still doing that job, but he's kind of not really part of the society that's behind it. And Mr. Fitz, his puppet companion, uh, 
you know, one of the things I like about Mr. Fitz is that he looks like one of the more common entertaining puppets that are found in this world who sing and play and delight everybody. But in actual fact, uh, he is a sorcerer himself. And he's also uh, incredibly single-minded and dedicated to his job of getting rid of godlets, much more than Sahara it is. Um, so, and he's not very concerned with you know, what that what that will cost or what it will take, uh, which often is at Sahrawid's expense. And I just like the the combination of of those two. I mean, Sahrawid, for all that he is a mercenary, he's an artillerist. Um, he's been involved in god slaying. Essentially, he's been trained for it and he's been doing it his whole life. He's still sort of, in some respects, a naive uh, sort of you know, romanticist who's looking for something else. He's a romantic who's looking. You know, he'd like to settle down and and uh, you know have a have a loving relationship, and the circumstance of his life never allowed. And Mr. Fitz looks after him to a degree, and in fact, Mr. Fitz was his nanny growing up, and was Mistress Fitz until Sahara, when he was you know a bit of an older boy, decided he, he needed to change to Mr. Fitz. Um, so yeah, I guess the, the wandering companions, um, you know, having adventures and and, and doing great deeds in a, in a baroque realm of of uh, you know gunpowder and fantasy just just appealed to me, and I wrote that first one, and then every now and again people would invite me to write for anthologies, and quite often I'd think oh I could I you know Sir Harold and Mr Fitz would suit whatever whatever this is like the, the very next story, uh, which was for. Uh, Fast Ships, Black Sails, edited by uh, Jeff and Ann Vandermeer, which is a pirate book. And I thought, oh, yes, well, pirates, that suits Sir Herod and Mr. Fitz. And, and so the second story is them having a piratical adventure and, and so on. And, uh, you know, for the Book of Swords, which George R. R. Martin and Garda de Zouar edited, um, as soon as I thought of that, swords, hmm, yes, well, so Herod and Mr. Fitz, it is, I guess it's it's gunpowder and sorcery, but it's still also swords and sorcery. So uh, definitely I'll, I'll write a story with them in it for that book and, and so on. And, and it just continued like that. Um, and then last year I thought, oh, I think I've got enough stories to put together in a book. And, uh, and my agent agreed and uh, luckily so did Harper Voyager. And, and, and I wrote a new one just because I think, Whenever there's a collection, it's good to have a new story, uh, even though most people will not have, you know, all eight places that, you know, eight books that the previous stories have appeared in. It's fantastic to have them all in one place. It's still nice to have an additional brand new story as well, which no one has seen. Well, it's really fun to go through the collection and see the different prompts or anthologies that you're responding to. And also, fantasy as a genre has changed so much over the course of the 15, 20 years that these stories were written. I think it's just really fun to watch that uh, as it's going. Um, yeah. The, yeah. And the no, anthology... Gonna... Oh, sorry. Please go. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just going to say, and there is... And there's a different tone in some of the stories because I'm trying to do different things. You know, some are funnier uh, because I wanted to emphasize the, sort of the humor a little bit more. Um, so they, they're doing different things. I think that's one of the real strengths of a short story collection as well, that short fiction is not necessarily what it once was in the current English market 
speculative fiction community. And I think there's something so fun about being able to see the changes in tone and even in form. There's one story that's entirely essentially first person monologue. Um, And I just wonder if you could speak a little bit about the different ways that it allows you to sort of play with the same characters based on those differences. I mean, one of the things I, I mean, I do like about short fiction in, in general, and I write quite a lot of short fiction as well as the novels, uh, in addition to the ones with Sarah and Mr. Fitz, um, is because it does let you it does let you experiment uh, with different forms, uh, using you know, different viewpoints, tense, you know, all of that. Um, it's it's a small playground. You can write something that's complete, and it doesn't take you. You know, it doesn't take you a year to discover that the, the, the book that you've written in second person, present tense, doesn't work and you've wasted a whole year. Um, if a short story which you're experimenting with doesn't work, you can put it aside and you know, maybe a few weeks or uh, you know, maybe a few weeks over six months has been not wasted because it's never wasted because you learn things from it, but not ultimately successful perhaps. Um, so that's one of the things I do love about short stories, um, you know, whether it's with, with these two characters or, or, or anything else, is um, it lets me do different things, experiment with some of the technical side of, of writing, but also sometimes just um, wanting to move away from the novel that I'm writing, which will have a, you know, a generally consistent tone to do something entirely different because I want to write something I want to write something funny or, or I want to write something melancholy, uh, which doesn't fit what I'm the big work I'm currently on. So I do find writing short fiction uh, is a welcome break often from the long haul projects, some of which take, take years, of course. So it's good to have um, you know, a, a busman's holiday away from it. I'm still writing, uh, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, deep in the trenches of the big book, uh, I can I can go and do something maybe lighter, maybe more serious even, but but different. There's a lot of differences in the stories in this collection, which again is really interesting and really fun to see. But there's definitely things that are consistent as well. One of those being Mr. Fitz's relationship to magic, which it's basically like a stitchery form of sorcery. Um, There's lots of needles and unpicking enchantments and sewing enchantments, which is super fun. And I feel like I've seen a decent amount of sewing magic, but I've never seen offensive sewing magic. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about Mr. Fitz and um, the chaos that he brings. Yeah, well, Mr. Fitz uses sorceress needles to basically unpick reality. Well, he can stitch it back together again, but he's more on the destructive side of things as a rule. Um, so yes, he he basically unpicks these godlets out of out of the the weave of of the world essentially. Um, so he removes them from from this reality, um, and he has a little sewing desk that he that he carries with him. I think that's a natural kind of extension of his nature, and also, I guess where he came from in my own background because I I grew up with my mother making puppets. Um, she's a paper maker. She taught paper making. Um, at an art school in Canberra, um, so like a high-end artist paper maker, but she also made puppets with with us as children and put on puppet shows and and so I, I uh, have you know many memories of layers layering paper mache on balloons to make puppet heads and and so on. 
So I think the craft aspect of of Mr. Fitz you know, being a puppet um, led me naturally to think, well, what kind of magic does he do? It will also be kind of like a craft related thing, and sewing just seemed to just seemed to work. So it's like a lot of things where I'm retrospectively trying to figure out where it came from. I think it just instinctively felt that that was right for him. Um, and I think that's what informed it, but you know, that's, it wasn't as intellectual a process as that. I'm sure I was just writing the story and I thought, hey, he can have a sorceress needle. That's cool. Um, and uh, and it worked. So, but yes, I, I have to do, I do have to thank my mother for all the puppet making in, in my youth, which helped inspire Mr. Fitz. Sarah Harrowood uses is much less reliant on magic, um, is largely reliant on pointy things and explosives. And these stories are set in sort of a very particular time in terms of military technology. And it's one that we don't often see a lot in fantasy. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the military technology, Harrowood as an artillerist, and sort of what that does. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of things. I, I do, I'm a, you know, I've always been interested in military history. Um, I did also, I served in the Australian Army Reserve uh, for five years. I was an assault pioneer, which is like an American combat engineer. So I did have a lot to do with explosives at that time, a long, long time ago now. Um, and I've always had a fascination with different different eras of military history, but the 17th century I've always had a particular interest in the English Civil War, the Thirty Years' War, and so on. Uh, I'm also, I think this actually goes all the way back to the Three Musketeers and Alexandre Dumas, uh, whom I'm a huge fan of the books, but also of the movies, uh, which particularly the Richard Lester movies of the early 1970s, The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers, two of my favourite films, which are historically very accurate, um, unlike many other Three Musketeers movies. Um, so I think it came out from that. And, uh, you know, one of my novels, Angel Mage, is, is also, uh, you know, 17th century military technology and magic. Um, in the case of Angel Mage, it's angelic magic. Um, and it's that, that book is very much an homage to Dumas. Um, whereas the Sahara with Mr. Fitz stories are in a, different kind of world it's a more it is a more baroque sort of sword and sorcery world but it does have gunpowder and it does have that that 17th century military technology um of of cannons and muskets and and pistols and and so on and i guess i just wanted to i wanted to do sword and sorcery but i also wanted it to be a bit different um so that was that was the appeal i mean i generally when i'm when i'm writing uh, anything, I, I do want it to be a bit different, at least. Even when I think I want to write, uh, you know, a story that fits very much in this tradition, I do want to fit in the, in the tradition, but also play around with it as well and introduce new things um, and, and also do things which reflect, uh, you know, our modern sort of societal understandings so things like you know, gender equality and so on, you know, why does your sword and sorcery world have to conform to 1950 gender roles? Um, it doesn't, obviously. Um, so um, there's, there's lots of things like that, which I guess so sort of keeping the good bits of the, of the tradition and getting rid of the parts you don't want. 
and just changing stuff to make it interesting. Well, it does make combat in particular extraordinarily interesting because you have the ability to blow things up, but not very often, and you have to get it right. So that, for me, especially as someone that doesn't read a ton of things set in kind of that technological time period, was really enjoyable, and I really liked reading. Most of the time when they are blowing things up, uh, they are blowing up gods or godlets. Could you speak a little bit about those entities and the role that they play in this collection? Yeah, um, well, a very important one because I, you know, I guess the primary job of Sir Herod and Mr. Fitz is to get rid of of inimical godlets. So it, it is a world heavily populated by gods, by extra-dimensional entities that have established themselves in this world. And probably the majority of them are actually beneficial. So they're worshipped, they do small acts of good and they don't cause any trouble, um, and so that's fine. Uh, but there are malign entities, there are inimical godlets who uh, who may in fact look after their worshippers extremely well, um, but it's always at the expense of everybody else, essentially. So, I mean, the very first story, for example, um, you know, they come to a, a city where where Herod hopes to take service. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a beautiful oasis of a city, which weirdly exists where all every everywhere else around is is uh, becoming desert and the crops are dying and so on. And, and it's because the god that is making that city uh, do so well is actually sucking life out of everything else beyond beyond its boundaries. Um, so it is an it is an inimical godlet, um, and basically, the sort of setup for the stories is that uh, a very long time ago, uh, most of the major states of the world at that time got together and they formed uh, a treaty for the safety of the world, uh, which the desire was to to get rid of you know, these inimical godlets, and a council was set up to do that, and the the witches of Ha, which the Herod is is born to were given the role of you know, hunting down these inimical godlets and getting rid of them. Uh, but that was a thousand years ago or more, and most of those states have ceased to exist and uh, for all kinds of different reasons. But the work still goes on. Uh, the council still exists. The witches of Ha still hunt the godlets, even though the states, the kingdoms, the empires that set it in train have all gone, um, the work still continues because the godlets are still there, of course. Um, and the longer they're left alone, the stronger they grow as well. So it's it's a, a never-ending job, I guess, of trying to prune the, the tendrils of, of uh, extra-dimensional entities that are getting into that world and will, you know, eventually potentially cause enormous trouble if they're not nipped in the bud. And that's that's Sir Herod and Mr. Fitz's job, amongst others, um, uh, a never-ending a never-ending task. Um, which even when they try and avoid it, uh, it always seems to crop up. Well, I think that conflict is so interesting too, because they are, Sir Harrowood in particular is a mercenary, right? And there is sort of a lot of violence and in some cases a kind of cavalierness towards life or violence generally. But also there's like this very moral guiding purpose as well. And the, I think that's just an interesting contrast where there's in many ways the sort of very high fantasy sense of we're going to sacrifice ourselves potentially to rid the world of evil while also 
being like, we're going to blow things up so that we can make some money and hang out. Yeah, well, or just or just to keep on doing what what what, what we do because uh, the remittances from the witches of Har are few and far between. Um, but there is a different. I mean, and there's a difference between Sir Herod's you know outlook and Mr. Fitz's too. Uh, Mr. Fitz is much more hardcore, really, in terms of the job and what needs to be done. But he he was expressly made for this purpose, um, whereas I mean, Sir Herod was raised for it. But it's not quite the same the same thing, and I think you know, a lot of the tension in the stories comes from Sir really wanting to stop doing it, um, but he's not he's not able to, um, and 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 Mister Fitz kind of understanding that, but not not allowing him to to veer off the path that that they're on, trying trying to keep him you know his, his mind focused on. On what they need to do, maybe because maybe because Mr. Fitz is more aware of the of the whole big picture, I suppose. Um, Sir Harold, it's sort of more what's in front of him is is more important to him. Well, and the, that tension is so interesting too because these stories are still published in the order that you originally published them. Is that correct? Yes, which is not and- necessarily chronological. Exactly. So Harrowood is sort of wrestling with these questions, but not in kind of a arc sort of way because we aren't seeing his life in order. Was that something when you were putting together the collection, was there ever a question of are we going to switch it to chronological or did you want to leave it sort of ambiguous and jumping around? We did discuss it um, and I did think about it and I vacillated about how to arrange them. I did look at different arrangements um, I'd never actually worked out an overall timeline, uh, which is characteristic, I guess. I mean, I'm not the kind of fantasy writer who works everything out and then writes the story. Um, I work it out as I write the story and just work out what I need. Um, so, you know, but, but still constantly building up you know, this, the reality of, of this world. Um, but ultimately, I decided that I would leave it chronological and... And just and ambiguous, and I, I quite like that ambiguity. I, I like things are referred to which you don't necessarily ever see in the stories, which you might one day because you know, hopefully I'll write more stories about this duo. Uh, I might even write a novel with them one day. Um, there are some significant events which I think, at you know, the back of my mind, I'm thinking hmm, it probably needs a big that needs a big story. It probably needs a novel. Or maybe a novella. I mean, some of the stories are, are sort of novelette length. Some are much shorter. Um, so there's plenty of room to explore all the gaps in uh, in the in the history that we we see in the stories that exist so far. Yeah, absolutely. And it does add this kind of meditative, melancholic tone to something that is not always melancholic, but often is. I very much enjoyed them in the order that they are in the book. Sort of changing tracks, there are also some very good fantasy animals in these stories. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, adding fauna that is not real in our world, some of your favorites, that process, any of that. Um, Well, it's mostly just things I think are cool, uh, like hairless albino 
you know, elephants, mammoths, which are called mockleks in this world, which crop up all the way through. Um, and there's one particular one in one of the stories. Um, I like making up creatures. I like making up monsters. I always have. Um, and I think you know, this world it lends itself to all kinds of strange things. I mean, one of the things I like about sword and sorcery, I guess, in general, is is quite often the characters are discovering things they've never even heard of or no one's heard of, and so it's a surprise to them as well. So, like, monsters they didn't know about, creatures, you know, magic they didn't know about, it's it's all... And, and often, you know, horrible things that they didn't know about and wished, wished that, you know, didn't exist, but they do. Um, so that's that's a kind of tonal quality, I think, of sword and sorcery is the um, is the discovery of things unknown. Um, but yeah, with creatures, um, it's just it's something that I personally like, and so I, I put them in the stories. Um, I'm not quite sure about the the the, the process. I, again, I is you know where do they come from? I don't know. <laughs> Well, and I think that that sort of sense of discovery, again, lends itself so well to this sort of short fiction as well, because you go very deep, but world building in short fiction is different from in a novel. So you'll be sort of deep in a place, but not necessarily with the expectation of the same level of breadth or context that you might have in a novel. Yeah, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't have that sort of duration you have in a novel where you will, you know, you will gradually discover more and more in short fiction often it's it's an immediate but shallow discovery uh which is necessary for the narrative and so but then you've you've moved on without you know sort of further further investigation and, and also in a novel usually uh it'll crop up again or it, things will be referred to again and there's that sort of build up of uh you know more detail which you might not have in in a short story, though. Though other, you know, in a collection of stories, of course, thing you know, there's quite a lot of circling back to various things which have been mentioned in, in other stories. Even though even though these all stand alone, um, there are recurring things. Um, I mean, and some of that is, of course, uh, the restatement of stuff which you would not do in a novel. Um, you know, each of these stories. Uh, in Sir Herod and Mr. Fitz, there is a certain, not too much, I hope, but there is a certain element of repetition just because they are, they were published individually. So um, you're telling the reader some stuff that if it was a novel, you wouldn't do it again. Um, but hopefully it's, it's, you can just glide over that and move on quickly. Well, and it creates in some ways, I think, a episodic nature that is kind of soothing and that also okay. yeah. adds, at least for me, like a level of verisimilitude, because that's also the way that we experience things that we do often or that they're important. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's also would be their experience of the thing. Yeah. It reads differently, but I don't think that takes away from it at all. Okay. Oh, good. Good. So are you hoping to return to them? It sounds like potentially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, invariably someone, I mean, if an anthology suggested to you know someone invites me to an anthology and I, if it's if it's got the right sort of theme I'll instantly think ah yes I will return to my 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 two uh, my two heroes or somewhat heroes uh, um, so yes I'm I'm sure that that I will come back to them uh, so it's taken I guess a close to 
20 years actually to, to get nine stories. Uh, hopefully, perhaps not that long for another another nine, but, but who knows? And maybe a novel at, at some point. You never know. Well, hopefully we will see them on the page again. Um, thank you so much for speaking with, to, with me today. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to talk to you. I have been speaking with Garth Nix about his short story collection, Sir Harrowwood and Mr. Fitz, out August 22nd from Harper Voyager. Thank you so much for listening, and please consider feeding the algorithms that run our lives by subscribing or leaving a review. I will speak to you soon, and for now, happy reading. <laughs>